I think that Ethereum is a convoluted mess and I don't know what it's good for. But fine, other people like it. Good for them. Hello there from North Wales. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And as I said, I'm in North Wales. And two things about that. Well, three things. It's raining. I'm not sure if you can hear that. I forgot my microphone and the internet here is shit. So I'm in a bathroom recording this intro and hopefully my engineer Danny will be able to master this and make it sound a bit better. So my interview this week is with Udi Wertheimer, where we reviewed my recent interview with Vitalik and Samson. I'm not sure if you heard that. A lot of different views about that show. Some people liked it, some people hated it. It all really depended from what lens you had over that show, I think. Um, I wanted somebody I could get on to review it as in the most objective way possible. And Udi's a guy I trust. I always think he's fair. Look, I know some of you ETH guys don't like him because he trolls you a bit, but I do think he's fair. I, th- I do think technically he's fair. So I got him on to review it because I also think he's fair about Bitcoin. I'm sure some people hate this and moan at me about this, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, it's just a very short intro because, um, yeah, I'm going to hand this over to Danny. Um, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I'm going to have a couple of messages from my show sponsors now, and then we'll just dive straight in from the show. Those adverts are from old shows. I don't even know if you know this, but I record them fresh every week. But this week, because I'm in this bathroom, in this toilet, I'm not going to do them fresh. Anyway, you can reach out to me. Enjoy the show, and I'll speak to you all soon. So first up, we're going to talk about BlockFi, who are the future of Bitcoin and financial services. They just announced they raised another massive round, backing for what is an amazing business that continues year after year to grow, continues year after year to provide amazing lending and borrowing services within the Bitcoin world. Now with BlockFi, you can open up an interest account. I am a customer. I've been earning interest for nearly a year now with BlockFi. My interest is close to a Bitcoin, which is pretty, pretty fucking cool, if we're honest. Also, you can use your Bitcoin as collateral and take out a USD loan. And you can also fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the BlockFi mobile app, you can now access all their services on the go. With so much more coming this year, it's going to be a massive, massive year for BlockFi. If you are interested in finding out more, I do recommend you do your own research. Then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. We're going to talk about Kraken and why they are the best place to buy Bitcoin. There's a couple of key reasons. Like, firstly, nobody can touch them on security. They have the best security of any exchange in the market. They are the most trusted exchange in the market. And also, with their 24-7, 365 customer support, whatever issue you have, you can reach out to them, and they're going to help you. They're going to solve it for you. They also have the most comprehensive suite of tools available for buying Bitcoin. At Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start buying They also have this beautiful mobile-first app that's so easy to use. If you want to buy Bitcoin on the go, you're out for a walk in the park, you're sat in the pub, and you're thinking, I want some more Bitcoin. Then you can whip out their mobile app and start buying. And with margin trading, futures, and their OTC desk, Kraken has every single option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. UD, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Always, always a pleasure. I'd always have you on the show. Okay, I needed someone to talk about, talk to about this Bitcoin v ETH review show thing I did because it's very difficult to get impartial opinions. Every, everyone's opinion was pretty much, I would say 80% of people was through, through the lens they see things right. Yeah. So as a good example... If you think ETH is a scam, then you think what 
Samson did was pretty much correct to call it out as a scam and give it not have any tolerance for discussing the technicals. Whereas if you don't, you may have thought that Samson's approach was wrong and becomes a very difficult thing because I, I just want to kind of navigate it. How, how did you find it? Um, so I did listen to it. I thought that it was, well, it was an interesting debate because I don't remember Samson and Vitalik ever being in that kind of setting together. So it was interesting to see them like one against the other, but I don't know. It, a lot of times it felt like they're talking past each other. I think, as you mentioned, there are like, um, everyone sees those things through their own lens and then just, just really hard to figure out what, what the actual, you know, what the actual points in and, and disagreements are because we're hardly even speaking in the same terms. So it's really, really difficult to, to see who's who in that debate. Yeah. And there's things are like, I don't get, and the reason I did it, or the reason I care a little bit more now, is uh, I had um, I did my two fiftieth show, as you know, and had people submit a bit of um, a bit of content, and I think it was Shinobi who said that Lightning Bitcoin, uh, Liquid Bitcoin, Base Chain Bitcoin, Wrap Bitcoin, they're all Bitcoin, right? He's his view is they're all Bitcoin, and as that much as that might trigger people, and I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, that's right. Well, therefore, if someone's going to wrap Bitcoin. They need to be at least aware of, as subjectively as possible, about any risks they're taking and, and using it. So I kind of yeah. kind of felt like I wanted to understand a bit more about it. But I, I was kind of thinking, who could I review the show with? Who do I think would be at least some way impartial? And I think some ethereal people say, no, Udi isn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm the last person that they think will be impartial, yeah. <laughs> well, that's fine. But I don't see you as like a maximalist wanting to just attack Ethereum for the sake of it. I think I think you're pretty fair in the way I, you look I at things. I try to be. I try to see um I think I try to see both of these from the lens of the supporters as opposed to from the view of the opponents. So you know it's very easy to to find strawman arguments against both. But once you try to understand what Ethereum supporters actually think or actually find valuable in Ethereum, then the criticism becomes more valuable, I think. Yeah. And I think somebody said to me, like, you know, those like Nigerian scams that you get that come through an email, like the bank account, I've got $74 million, blah, blah, blah. Somebody said, like, if you think of, you know, Ethereum as like that, then you have to tell people. And um, I'm nervous really calling it a scam as such, although I certainly think there are things about it which aren't great. But I think how do you how how do you actually call a blockchain a scam? I think I struggle with that. But there was a lot I struggled with. Some things I didn't really get there. So I just thought I've been through it. I've got like a whole list of all the things we pretty much talked about, and I just kind of wanted to work through it with you because you're like one of my you're like my oracle. You're like my you're my blockchain oracle. <laughs> I, I hope I hope you won't regret that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I came out once on Twitter once. Somebody said, well, who is it you? And I said, I just repeat the people I trust. They said, well, who do you trust? I was like, well, mainly Udi. And they went, okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I think a good starting point is almost the philosophical side of things, which I, I felt there was some, on on Vitalik's side, there was some weakness out and almost, you almost gave some ground there in that I personally still don't know what theorem is. Yeah, some right. people say ETH is, ETH is money. I think uh, Joey from 
Augur came out yesterday when he was talking about Augur 2 or something. And he said, like, ETH is money as well. And it's like, but other people are like, no, ETH is not money. I was like, well, like, well, if it is, what is it? Yeah. What is it? Yeah, that's a good question. Even if ETH is money, which I don't know, but even if it is, then that still doesn't answer what Ethereum is because Ethereum and Ether are not the same thing. Yeah, of course. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, that's, this is something I, I'm, I struggle with too. I don't know what Ethereum is for, like what, you know, the, the early explanation of it being a world computer, I don't know, like what is a world computer? So people say it's a computer that no one can stop. Okay, fine. But you're like, your phone in your pocket is a computer that no one can stop. It's yours. No one can stop it. You can use it to do whatever you want with it. So I don't think that's it. And and it's faster and it's cheaper and so on. So that's probably not what it is. I don't know. It's really hard to 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 explain exactly what it is. I find that even for Ethereum people, it's kind of hard to explain what it is. You know, the, the I guess the word that they would use or the term that they would use is that Ethereum is a state machine. But then what what's that? Like it's a term in computer science. That's not very interesting. I can go into that, but it's like I don't think that's very interesting to hear. So, yeah, I don't know what it is. It seems to be a, a way for people to do experiments. I think one of the one of the best things about Ethereum is that it has some standards that really caught on. So the, the best example is probably ERC-20 for tokens. So, like, technically, it's not, I don't think it's the best way to issue a token technically and to use one. It's expensive, it's inefficient, and so on. But it has one very good thing going on for it, which is, all exchanges support it, all wallets support it. So if you're going to issue a token for some reason, you're probably going to choose Ethereum. You don't care about the technicalities of it. You just want to make sure that people can use it and buy it. So you're going to use what's supported, and that's ERC-20. So that's, in my opinion, that's the best thing going on for Ethereum. It has standards that's caught on. It has interoperability with a lot of products and services. So that's pretty important. And even though technically it's just not very good, like there are a lot of contenders unrelated to Bitcoin. There are a lot of contenders later that showed up with better standards for tokens, um, but they're just too late, probably. Yeah. So. Well, well, I'll tell you my take. So I think ETH is money in that cigarettes in a prison can be money, mm-hmm. in that any object that you want to trade with somebody in a certain scenario that can become some kind of currency, mm-hmm. it can be money. But then if you say ETH is money and trying to – I understand it's probably something – it's quite difficult for someone like Vitalik to say because if you also say then Bitcoin is money, then ETH doesn't look, seem like great money. It just right. doesn't seem like very good money. Whereas in prison, like cigarettes are good money when – in certain scenarios because yeah. Yeah, they, hold a, they hold a lot of value. And, and So I, I think it kind of – I mean, it is a unit of exchange. And then I see Ethereum, the protocol itself, as just some kind of like – I see it's like a almost like a virtual world, like a this little world where you can go in and you can create kind of create kind of financial almost like games or products that you can play with. Um, yeah, but I wonder how much value those games and things would how much value they would have if there wasn't the existence of a lot of people having to made money on ETH itself. Perhaps there would be something playing around with uh, stable coins, but. It seems to me just to be like this wild west, messy, wild west, messy kind of financial virtual world. Um, and somebody said to me, they're like, "Well, why don't you go and create a MetaMask account, and play with it?" I was like, "But for what?" Because like, 
I still don't see what use I personally have for it. Like I can understand if you're somebody, if you're somebody who likes to make money, if you made money on ICOs, you don't give a shit. You've got no, you just like, I don't care. I just want to make money. Mm-hmm. And then you can go into this DeFi world and you can make money. Then fair enough, I get it because it's like a, it's like a game. But I don't see it as like some serious contender for replacing certain financial centralized systems at yeah. the moment. Yeah, and the narrative around that changed very heavily in the last month. So not even years. I mean, yeah. if you if you if you ask people a month ago or two months ago what what Ethereum apps were about, then they would tell you, oh, you can take loans and you can um, you can use stable coins and you can unbank the un- the bank the unbanked and so on. Um, there were those very um, large goals around that. And now it's mostly those Ponzi games. And there are Ponzi's. There are Ponzi's. Mostly their creators agree as well that they're Ponzi's. Just the claim is that because they, um, you know, because it's not a secret, because it's an open fact that they're Ponzi, then it's fine, which is, um, I'm okay with that. But um, I just don't find, you know, it's a game of musical chairs and I don't find it particularly interesting. It can be individually interesting, sure, if you think that you know more than the other guy and that you can you can get more money out than the other guy, then great. But that's not, I mean, that's a short-term game. I think that's pretty obvious to everyone involved that it's a short-term thing. But but that's kind of, one of the funny things are that if you talk to people about what Ethereum is today, as opposed to a month ago, then you'll get completely different um, answers because now this is the big thing, the, the DeFi Ponzi games. While a month ago, DeFi was a way to get loans, which is, I don't know, more traditional, I guess. Yeah, but I can, I can see some value in that, right? I can see some value in a decentralized system for, for taking out a loan, right? And perhaps, like, I wouldn't do it, but uh, I could see somebody saying, well, I've got some Bitcoin, I'll wrap that Bitcoin, I can take out a dollar loan, this is collateralized, um, whatever it is, say up to 50%. Uh, and I can instantly get access to some dollars and then I can liquidate those on the exchange and I haven't sold my Bitcoin. Like, I can see that scenario. I wouldn't use it myself, but like... Yeah, you can see that. And that's got some validity. Other options. So, I mean, there are other options to get to get a Bitcoin-based or or Ethereum-denominated uh, loan, whatever. There are other options to do it. Not clear why you need Ethereum for that. And I think, I suspect that, you know, the people working on these projects realize that. Like, there are other perhaps more competitive options. So instead, they went the Ponzi route in the last few weeks or months, which, you know, I'm not trying to judge here. This is what people do in the crypto space since forever. And and they seem to struck, um, you know, they struck gold in a way because this is something that everyone was looking for. So I'm not judging here. I'm just saying it's very, very different than what people were raving about just months ago. Yeah, and, and I don't mind being wrong. Like, I'm not like this huge maxi that's like, let's shit on Ethereum now. Like, I've, I've said stupid things in the past, but like, tell me, prove it to me. I, I mean, I don't mind. I mean, I would, if I had to, for some reason, I would use a stable coin on Ethereum. If I had to move some money around in a certain way, like, I've got no problem doing that. I use them for sure. Yeah, it, it doesn't bother me, but, um, and I, I know there's a sort of risk that comes with that, but I just... I wonder what is it I'm missing? Like when this these debates get really heated and people are arguing away on Twitter, blah blah blah. Like what is it? What is it that I am missing that these Ethereum people are seeing? Do they have this kind of like naive vision of the future, 
or am I missing something? Like, do you question that? Yeah. So um, there are a few types of people. So there's the there's the quintessential crypto person who bought something early, got rich, and now they think it's God. That happens in, in Bitcoin too. It happens in Ethereum. It happens in a lot of much sillier shit coins as well. And you see a lot of that. So that that like probably the first thing you have to kind of wade through is those people and there are a ton of them. And then, um, then yeah, I think that some people just have a very different vision, a very, very different vision than Bitcoiners. They just don't, I mean, I mean Ethereum people don't really care, in my opinion, about most of the things that many Bitcoiners care about. Um, they're very different. I... I dare to say that that I see, you know, there's a lot of like more um, socialist tendencies in the Ethereum community compared to Bitcoin. I probably people are going to get mad because I said that, but I think that it's, of course, that's a generalization, but I think that it's true in many cases. And um, well, do you think? Do you think that? So I agree with that, but I'm wondering what does that actually mean for Ethereum? Like, is it because? They care less about hard money, individualism, like these libertarian ideals. That, that you know, they're quite happily living in this. I guess what we would say, and, and I'm broadly generalizing here, but quite happily living with a state, with a government. Um, mm-hmm. And whereas, like a lot of say the most hardcore Bitcoin is very critical. They, a lot of them, want to see the, like the downfall of the state, uh, individual liberty. Uh, they want hard mm-hmm. money to back that up. Yeah. Do you think it goes down to that level? I think it does. I think it does. And um and and you see I mean I th- you see a lot of focus on the in the Ethereum community on on public goods and how to fund them, how to sort of tax people to be able to fund them and they're very interested in that. In Bitcoin it's really the other way around like in Bitcoin a lot of people are just saying, you know, just leave it alone. Just not just don't touch it, don't change anything ever. Um that's easier because we don't want to make any governance decisions because that always ends badly. So it's better to just not do anything. And, and also, yeah, with, with regards to just having a hard money, I think a lot of Bitcoiners today are interested in having a hard money and a lot of Ethereum people are just not, they just don't care about that. And I mean, I, I had this, um, I had this thread when the entire supply gate thing, uh, started and I think that the supply gate issue is very interesting. It sh- it brings a lot of issues to light in a very um, clear way. Um, but I think that the the like it's, it's just one of the things it brings to mind is that Ethereum people just don't care about that. You know, like when you buy Apple stock, you don't really sit there and count how many Apple shares there are. It's an it's an important data point, but that's not why you're you're buying the Apple shares. So, and I, and I would say that's probably how Ethereum people think about buying Ether. They they see Ethereum as something that has potential. They care about the supply, but it's not the top thing that they care about. Um, Bitcoiners, and again, not all of them, but some Bitcoiners, they only care about the supply. This is a thing that they they want to make sure that there's a very strict supply and very strict inflation and that they can predict it and whatever. And... I mean, both, you know, both ideas have merit. I can see why some people want that and why some people don't, and that's fine. Um, do you think it was, do you think it became a bit of a gotcha? Well, maybe, maybe, but I think that, you know, I think that the, the supply gate thing was was good in that it brought to light 
um, just the differences. So the, you know, the, the, there are a lot of good explanations for why Ethereum doesn't do very well in, in um, calculating the supply. I mean, it does pretty well. Like I think Vitalik said in the, in the debate that the, the, like the, the round of error is very small, like the, the margin of error is very small, um, which, which I think is fair. But still, like it brings to light the fact that a lot of Ethereum people just didn't even, ever think about this. Like the, the, the idea didn't even cross their minds, which is which just shows how the two communities are very different. But I have to say, I mean, they have um, they have a lot of good reasons for that. So, I, in my opinion, the best reason is Ethereum is just not about Ether. So, Ether is is an, an asset that's supposed to make Ethereum work. It's there in order for Ethereum to function. And and Ether is flawed. And, you know, it was always described as a flawed, non-perfect thing. And it's just there to allow their blockchain platform to, to work. As opposed to Bitcoin, which is a digital asset first. That's what it is. It has very strict monetary properties. And it has a blockchain which is flawed. It's not perfect. It has many problems with it. And we wish it didn't have to exist, but it does. So just right there, you have a very massive difference between the two. So Bitcoin is focused on the asset. Ethereum is focused on other things. And, you know, things like Ethereum nodes, they have to keep track of a ton of things. Like they have to keep track of the supply of a ton of tokens. They have to keep track of the state of many apps. Um, They're keeping track of a lot of things. Um, So looking at specifically the the supply of Ether is is, is kind of, way too specific, like why is that the thing that we're we're looking at and saying that's difficult? Like there's so many things that Ethereum is keeping track of. Why are they why are we giving them a hard time specifically about the supply of ETH of Ethers? Well I, well I didn't care myself a bit for different reasons. I didn't care because I know they don't care. <laughs> um I don't care because I don't hold it or own it. And even if I did, it wouldn't be for like a hodling reason. Like the reason I own Bitcoin is because I think it's a, a solid financial asset, which I trust. I can hold value in it for the number of the reasons the Bitcoiners do. And therefore, the supply is really important. Mm-hmm. And it's really important we aren't flexible around that. But I I didn't care because there isn't that mentality about like a hard money with ETH. I don't think people are thinking, oh, I'm going to buy ETH and hold this for 20, 30 years, and this is a savings technology for me. I don't think people think like that. I think the most don't. Yeah. So that therefore, I was like, we would. It was almost like we were comparing a tank and a car, and we're annoyed that the the car doesn't have like the right. ability to, you know, it doesn't have like this hard shell around it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, when yeah. it's not trying to be a tank, yeah. it's just trying to be something else, and. What is I could still stand there and say, look, it, what it's trying to be doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. It seems a bit crazy, but at the same time, I can also say, well, I can understand why like that focus on the uh, supply isn't such a big deal because it isn't trying to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's it's really just trying to be something else. So the focus on the supply is a bit of a gotcha, but. Um, but what it's does it try to be? Light <laughs> the difference. I mean, it's 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 which I think that a lot of people didn't understand on the Ethereum side too. Like I, you could see um, when this discussion continued, how 
some people just say, you know what, I just never thought about that. And that's an interesting point to think about. And, and you can also see how, so if you ask Vitalik about it, if you really get into it, he has some very good explanations and, and points on why this isn't necessary for Ethereum. And I actually agree with them. The problem is it's really hard to communicate those ideas. And I think that even a lot of people on the Ethereum side are having a difficult time to communicate that because it's, it's pretty complex. Like when, when you're using Bitcoin, you're, you really what you care about is how many Bitcoin exists and, and how many of them you have. And the ones that you have, you want to make sure that they're legit. And when, when someone sends you Bitcoins, you want to make sure that they're legit Bitcoins and you didn't just make them up. Um, with Ethereum, uh, you, you, well, you want a lot of other things. That's one of the things, you, the things you want, but you probably want a ton of other things. You want to know that the stable coins that you're getting are valid for the same reasons. You want to know that the apps that you're using are, are um, didn't change. There are so many things you want to know. And I would say that Bitcoin, a good mental model for it is that you could say, okay, we, we have a group of people who decided on a bunch of rules, like there are only ever going to be 21 million coins, and to send them, you need to have a private key and whatever, and just a bunch of rules. And, and it's not a very complicated set of rules. And you could say, well, if we had the time, we could verify everything manually, just with a pen and paper, just everyone would sit down every, at the end of every day, run through all of the transactions that were that day and just calculate it and make sure that we're all on the same page. You could probably do that. It's, it's, you know, it's possible, it's doable. It's just a bit complicated, but you could do it. It would take a lot, a lot of time, but you could do it. With Ethereum, there's so many things going on. And there's so many things going on that you specifically don't care about. Like if you're not using uh, USDC, then you don't care about that at all. Um, so why would you spend time verifying that? So Ethereum kind of has a very different mindset in that. And you could say, okay, so the Bitcoin full nodes, their job is just to automate that process. Of, of verifying. They're not doing anything magical. They're there to make it easier on you. Instead of you doing it manually, they're automating it so just that it's faster and simpler for you. Um, on Ethereum, it's something else. The, the nodes, the blockchain, those things, they're a magic that allows for decentralized whatever. They have those magical powers. They're much more important in that, in that way. So um, the, the way that that People like Vitalik believe that they solve that that risk of maybe not knowing the exact supply or whatever is because why do you want to know that in Bitcoin? In Bitcoin, you can say, well, maybe the software that I use is, is buggy. Maybe there's a problem and the software will think that there are more Bitcoins than they are. But because it's so easy to see, then I'll immediately find the problem and everyone will talk about it and will fix it immediately. Um, in Ethereum, because it's so obscure, maybe there's already a bug. Maybe we don't even know because it's so hard to find out. So what Vitalik and other people would say is, well, look, we have multiple Ethereum implementations built from scratch, multiple Ethereum nodes built from scratch that if they have bugs, then you would expect that they have completely different bugs. And so far, people who run them can see that they all consolidate on the same state so if that's the case, um, then there's no bug right now that manifested at least. Wow. So, so like for for Ethereum people, they're saying this is so complex that that like mere humans are not going to be able to look into the current state and see if something's wrong. So instead, we have this more risk averse system where we have multiple implementations to to try to find if there's a bug in one of them, and then if there is, then we know something's wrong, and then we stop, and then we try to find what the problem is. So that's a very different approach. 
it's um, it's riskier because you know you 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 can't you don't have direct visibility into what's going on just because it's too much. Right. Uh, but in, in but on the other hand, it's the only way to do it. Like because Bitcoin is simple, we can do it like kind of manually. But Ethereum is not simple. And there's no way you could do it manually. You need to have an automated way to do it. So I think that the way they chose is reasonable. It, I don't find it interesting. I don't want to do yeah. it. Like, but but I think that you know their solution makes sense. I, so I wonder if sometimes if Vitalik's bitten off more than he can chew. And I kind of asked him about that. Did do you know when he started work on Ethereum? Probably around 2014. I think it launched in 15. Yeah. See, I mean, you know, back when he probably was working it, like Bitcoin obviously had its first real kind of big period of interest 2013, but it wasn't like a global asset. Mm-hmm. It didn't have didn't have like institutional investors like it does now. It was like a very different world. And I just wonder if he was kind of like almost like nerding around wanting to do stuff with Bitcoin. It's like, oh, I can't do that. I want to, you know, because I, I finally read the, the Ethereum white paper. I'd never read it before. Um, and not in detail because it's long <laughs> and there's way too much stuff I couldn't understand. But like things stood out to me, like the lack of Turing completeness. And whilst I'm not a coder or a techie, I understand the difference that offers. And, you know, I read about the kind of like the Oracle problem and blah, blah, blah. So I was kind of like, I was just kind of like thinking, I I, I wonder if it was just a case of he was thinking, well, you know, I want to do some things I can't do on Bitcoin, so I'll build this other thing. Not really expecting or thinking it to become this 40 50 billion dollar protocol not really thinking bitcoin might work go to where i don't know but i'm wondering if he just kind of like had this idea and it's just got way bigger than he expected you know a lot of problems that he didn't probably foresee coming and now rather than saying huh you know what <laughs> this is kind of doesn't make sense it's kind of like well how do we like a, like a good techie he wants to solve the next problem he mm-hmm. wants to how do I fix this? Why it's sharding or it's this or it's that or it's the other. I wonder if it's just, just kind of like that scenario is playing out, but really, because it's very difficult to turn around and go, yeah, do you know what, lads, got this wrong. Let's pack yeah. up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's probably something like that, but to be fair, that's how most things are built, right? You know, you start, yeah. you start small, you've no idea what you're doing. And then um, sometimes you're lucky and it explodes. Um, the, like Vitalik worked on on like things that are similar to Ethereum before Ethereum. So he was involved in in Mastercoin, which was on top of Bitcoin. He was involved with other like colored coins things, which were like kind of ERC twenty. Um, so he spent a lot of time working on things like that on Bitcoin. And I truly believe him that you know he just found that it's not satisfactory and that that something better needs to be done if that's to become a reality. And to be fair, he did build something that became uh, a, a reality for like all tokens, almost. That's what they use. So he, he definitely set out to build this and, and succeeded. Now, is it, you know, is it great? No. <laughs> but um, but it works to, to an extent. And um I think, you know, the, the, this is also another gotcha that people like to say that like, yeah, so Ethereum isn't, is broken, which is why they're trying to rebuild it basically with Ethereum 2.0. Um, but it is it is true that they always said that that there's a lot of work to be done. Like when Ethereum first came out, they always said, look, this isn't 
what it's going to look like. This isn't the final form. And in a way, there's a lot of marketing in, in that, in saying that too. But but it's also, you know, you can, I mean, they always said it. They always said they're going to need charting. That was true from day one. They also always said they want to move to proof of stake. That was true from day one. It's not like new things. They just didn't have any idea how they're going to do it. And the, the, the way they would do it changed drastically over the years. It still didn't happen. So who knows? Maybe it changes again. But, to, you know, you have to be somewhat fair. They, they did, you know, it's not like this didn't come out of nowhere. They always said that the, the current way it works is not, not going to work forever. Yeah, and I, I don't imagine, I, I struggle with this idea that Vitalik sat there and thought, oh, I'm going to build this big blockchain system to make myself a billionaire and scam people. I just, mm-hmm. I just don't buy that argument. I, I, I buy it that he's, he's a techie and he wanted to build something like he had an interest in it. And yes, of course he's got rich of it, but again, and even the change in narrative in some ways, it hasn't bothered me hugely in the idea that something pivots. I don't have an issue with somebody pivoting an idea. Fundamentally the shame, the shame is it just pivots from bullshit to bullshit, like ICO (laughs) scams to, you know, DeFi scams and blah, blah, blah. But I don't fundamentally have an issue with the idea of something pivoting. That's a that's a technology thing that happens. That's happened for plenty of companies and ideas. One of the things I do, though, have an issue is, is like one of the things I was thinking about is that there's some kind of hypocrisy sometimes when people are throwing mud across and uh, they'll be like, oh, uh, Ethereum is just used for scams. But really, I don't... It's not like the system is a scam. It's what people build on top of it, which is a scam. But mm-hmm. also, um, Bitcoin, like that's Ethereum, sorry. Bitcoin is used for scams as well. And what I realized is like people are able to use the the asset Bitcoin for scams, right? They create scams and yeah. you know, they request the asset. But you can go a little bit deeper with your scam with Ethereum. You can actually build the scam into Ethereum itself. And yeah. as far as I can see, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you can't really build scams into the Bitcoin protocol. No, because it's so simple. It can't do anything but transfer money. So, um, so no. Um, yeah, that's a good observation. And uh, I think the way, um, I mean, some people would say it's just semantics, but I think that the way that it really influences things is that the Ethereum community is kind of com- conditioned to champion things that are built on top of Ethereum. And, and they tend to, a lot of times, just champion scams because... Well, you know, the thing with, with scams, it sometimes takes a while before you realize that they're scams. And um, so I, I'm not saying those are bad people, but they they see something, it seems cool, it wasn't tried before, and they definitely champion that and market that. And, and eventually they realize that maybe it wasn't a good idea. Um, so that like, that kind of, I think it just, just leaves a sour taste, I would say. I mean, I, I I do understand people say, you know, Ethereum is for experimenting, and I think that's fine. Obviously, you're going to experiment, and a lot of those experiments will turn out to be scams. Um, but that's, you know, if, if people know what they're, if people know that, if people are going knowingly into um, these new Ponzi schemes, knowing that that's what they are, then I, I don't see any problem with that. Yeah, I, I throw in the the other thing I add into that is which I mentioned during the interview with Vitalik. Like I struggle with it with the concept of um, immutability as well. 
with a system that is and also he said like oh some people think uh bitcoin is 80 percent done and ethereum is 40 percent done ethereum is 40 percent done maybe 60 percent and i struggled with that i tell you why i struggled with that because it's like well what is done what is complete i mean i often don't think of bitcoin as like people say if bitcoin succeeds i kind of think it has already right i'm in that place now i trust it i hold money in it i use it we have derivatives we have institutional investment yes you can keep building on you can keep improving it but i've got to the point where i'm like it is successful even if it dies now at some point it's been a success it's done a lot of successful things now yes it's got other things that people want to do with it take it further it'd be great to have like on-chain privacy and all those other things but it's still a success but i but I don't see Ethereum the same. I still see it as a project, an experiment, uh, a beta. And as such, I think it should come with like responsible warnings. Like you could lose all your money in this. If you're buying this, a bit like, you know, the warnings that came with Lightning, be reckless, but you know, you could lose it. Don't put more than like 50 to 100 bucks in this. Yeah. I kind of feel like Ethereum needs to come with that because. Yeah, I think what, what was I reading again about today? Another DeFi thing that's got another potential millions locked in it. I also found out about Curve. The guy's got seventy-one percent. Yeah, the voting power. Like again, it's like every day I keep reading about things. I'm like, well, this is risky. It's risky to have money in this. Is it's it's and it's a yes, it's risky in Bitcoin, but it's a different risk profile. Mm, like I yeah. don't feel like I have a risk from Bitcoin developers. I don't think there's a risk that Matt Corella is going to do something that's going to lose me my money. I implicitly trust the procedures they put in place. But someone can create a smart contract and it's buggy or it can get hacked and in a way that you can suddenly lose a lot of money. And, and therefore, I think it's, with Ethereum, I find it a little bit disingenuous to not be telling people that this is risky. You, you, should, you shouldn't be locking up a lot of money in this. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um yeah, it is very risky. A lot of those things are very risky. Um, the current point is probably that you know they they uh, you could say that the Ethereum itself is stable. I I think that's arguable as well. But you can say that Ethereum itself is stable, but um, the apps that people deep build and deploy daily are definitely some of them are not stable at all. Some of them are outright scams and some of them will just broken in a way that we didn't find out yet. So if you're going to use those specific apps, then you'd better trust, I don't know, the person who built them. Maybe you review the code yourself. I don't know how you're going to approach that. But yeah, there's risk in that. So, but, 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 you know, when someone builds a Bitcoin exchange, then it's not built on Bitcoin, as we said before. Mm. Uses Bitcoin. It doesn't. It's not built on top of it, but it's still maybe a scam. Maybe it breaks. Maybe maybe coins get stolen. A lot of things can happen. So it's kind of you know just the Bitcoin apps are not built on Bitcoin. They're built somewhere else. So we just don't look at it the same. But those problems can exist there too. Um, there's a lot of semantics there. There's a lot of like really depends on how you define things. Mm. Uh, and 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 the the other thing is that because Ethereum is so experimental, then a lot of the new apps there are, are extremely experimental, as opposed to things with Bitcoin that are relatively traditional. You know, you're gonna have new exchanges, maybe new derivative products, but they're relatively traditional and, and stable. And that's probably because of the risk profile of the people using it too. Yeah, um, more conservative with this stuff. Yeah, and I guess it depends on certain things. Like for example. 
like if if I owed you some money, we went to a conference and like Pete, you owe me like two hundred dollars, and you said pay me in USDC or something, and I'd be like, I'd feel fairly confident buying that, sending it to you, and it'll get to you. I'm, I'm, I'd be not so worried about that. It is when I hear about these projects of like it's one developer guy who's coded up this yield farm to farm carrots or <laughs> peas or something. I don't know. By the way, which I don't actually understand what the hell's going on there. Like somebody's told me like it's to do with liquidity, but by the by, I, I that I'm like, who is this guy? What's he doing? You know, who's checking what he's doing? Like that, and I just find that a little bit insane. Especially that thing that happened with the yams, like like a that, mm-hmm. there was just that massive drop in price. I was like, this is just fucking bananas. Like, but there doesn't seem like internal. Well, that's why I say it's like a game. Because it feels like internally, everyone's like, well, it's, you know, this is this how it is. Yeah. Did you yeah. get out of your yams? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because a lot, you know, people who actually looked into it before they jumped into it, they, they actually took some time to read and, and, and analyze what it is. They're not surprised because this was obvious that it's going to happen. Um, I suspect that some people just went on an exchange, saw the price chart, and just bought yam and got and got wrecked. But and this is where the money comes from. You know how how do those coins make? How do those yield farmers make money? They need retail to buy the actual coin and to disregard what the coin actually is. And these coins do crazy things, like the um, um, like there's the rebase. The rebase means that that like the the coin tries to stay pegged to let's say a dollar or whatever some amount, and to do that they just if you if you hold the coin and it went below a dollar, you, you just get more. And if you, if, or or alternatively, if it's if the price is too high, the the the, the, the supply just increases. So, I mean, fine. <laughs> but then, if if you don't know that, if you don't understand that, then you're gonna get completely wrecked because you're not gonna understand the charts. The charts are gonna look like they're going crazy when, in fact, just the supply change. And that's kind of where the money is. They built those these very complicated, intricate schemes that are very hard to understand. And they're targeted at the fact that some people will just look at the chart and buy the coin. And that's where the money comes from to the, you know, the people who actually look into it. So I find it, you know, it's 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 a bit disgusting because it's really planned to confuse retail and to um and to be a Ponzi. And what they're saying is, look, it's openly a Ponzi. So details are there. If you want to, you can look into it. If you're not going to look into it, then it's not our fault, which is fine and it's fair. But it's not going to like it's not going to keep up. Like that. That's that. That's one thing I'm pretty sure of. That's a short-term thing. Um, people are going to run out of money to dump into this. Like people have to lose money. It's not. It's a zero-sum yeah. game, and it happens so quickly. So you know, um, they're going to run out. Well, it is like a casino. That's why I say it's a game. It's like, and I guess the people who learn the game the best, learn the rules the best, they're the ones who can be able to profit. But I kept thinking, I saw this chart of all these different like DeFi tokens and how much they've gone up. I was like, okay, if people are making money here, somebody has to be losing money. Like they have to be losing money some somewhere. Like where is that happening? But I, I kind of refuse to spend too much time looking at it because I just, I don't want to get involved in this. I just... I can tell without spending much time on it, it's nonsense. Let me ask you about another thing. I want to ask you about centralization because clearly Ethereum is more centralized than Bitcoin. But I'd, again, not being somebody who codes these things, where other people are like, well, you might as well just have a 
like a database. You might as well just have a spreadsheet, right? And I'm kind of like, I feel like, okay, Bitcoin tends to be the kind of moral benchmark for everything, Bitcoin, blockchain, and money. And I get that, and I'm cool with that. But at the same time, I don't, is there like a, if we were trying to be fair and just trying to just say, okay, ETH isn't a scam, Ethereum isn't a scam, let's just give it, objectively try and give it like a bit of time to consider. I, 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 there's clearly a difference between having some centralized database than having, say, something that's distributed on you know, a number of infurious servers. Or am I completely wrong here? Is it essentially pointless? Um, I, I don't think it's pointless. You know, I don't think it's automatically pointless. So you can find or you can think of use cases where it might make sense. Ponzi's were actually some of the the best ones because there were very early on there were those Ponzi games on Ethereum where everyone knew it's a Ponzi. It's, it was a very simple scheme. You put money in, and if you're the last one to put money in before a thing happened, then you're screwed, and everyone else gets more money. It was very very simple. Um, and you can't really, it's very difficult to do it in any other way because then someone will try to stop it. In Ethereum, you can deploy it anonymously. Uh, no one will know who you are and it will be relatively difficult to stop it. Not impossible probably, but relatively difficult. And, um, so it's, it's, it's good for those kind of things. When you look at something like, um, the most popular use case for Ethereum right now, which is USDT, Tether. Tether is really just a spreadsheet. It could be a spreadsheet on Google Docs. Uh, it could be because because Tether controls anyway what's going on. Tether can take coins from anyone at any point. They can take it outside of your, you. You can put it in your ledger or treasure in a safe. And they can take it out of there whenever they want to. They can create new ones whenever they want to. So they really don't need any decentralized thing and you trust them 100%. So um, the only reason people use Ethereum for that is, again, because inter- interoperability reasons and because wallet supported and exchange, uh, exchanges support it. That's a good reason, I guess. Um, so there's like an ecosystem reason. Because exactly. we have an ecosystem based on blockchains with wallets and exchanges. Yeah. It makes more sense. Like, for example, if it was just a like a spreadsheet, like a centralized database, how would a wallet integrate with that? How would an exchange integrate with that? Yeah. don't see how they could you t- could they do that so i mean it's technically it's possible there are course, not yeah. the tools for that don't exist so that's why people choose ethereum but um technically it's possible and it would have been cheaper it would have been easier um, i make a lot of tron jokes all the time um about how tron is superior to ethereum and it's a joke but uh, tron is a fork of ethereum it does have its own version of erc20 which is technically compatible it's the same API, it's the same everything, the same tools that people use like MetaMask and and Ethereum wallets and the same tools that the exchanges use to integrate uh, can be used with Tron. So for that reason, when Tether issued USDT on Tron, and again, Tron is a joke, but when Tether issued USDT on Tron, it was very easy for many exchanges to support that instantly because they already have everything uh, that they need. And and I think around 25% or 20% of USDT volume is actually on, on Tron just because it's fast and it's, <laughs> and it's cheap. Now, Tron is a, is, a, is a centralized database. That's what it is. It's a centralized database with the APIs that Ethereum uses. 
So people can use it with the tools they already have. And I think that, I don't know if Tron is going to be the one, but I think that someone is going to be building something like that. You have a centralized database and just supports all of the tools that people already use with Ethereum just so that you can integrate easily. So that's going to happen with something like USDT, in my opinion, for sure, because USDT is fully trusted. It's just wasted on Ethereum. It's just, it's expensive to use it and it's slow. So I think it will move away. At least for people who are just sending it around. Like when you use USDT inside Ethereum apps, that's something else. But if you're just moving it around exchanges and so on, there's no reason for it to be on Ethereum. Next up, I talk to Udi more about my Bitcoin v Ether show. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. So first up, we've got Sportsbet, sportsbet.io. And guess what? They have a huge announcement. They have just announced that they will be the main club partner and shirt sponsor for Southampton next season in the Premier League. Not only that, they are going to be placing a Bitcoin logo on the shirt, not on the shoulder, not on the sleeve, slap bang in the middle of the Southampton shirt. Yes, every week, billions of people around the world watching Premier League football are going to be seeing a Bitcoin logo. And listen, I told you before, these people, they don't just accept Bitcoin. They actively support Bitcoin. They are always trying to push it forward. Their voice is through sport and they're going big. I love the team at sportsbet.io. I love what they're doing. They support Bitcoin and the support of my show. Amazing people. Listen, if you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T.io. That's sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T.io. Also, today we're going to talk about Casa, who are the very best in Bitcoin security. And if you've not been getting your Bitcoin security together, if you've been rolling around with that single hardware wallet, maybe a seed written down on a piece of paper hidden somewhere in your house, with the bull market coming, it's time to really think about your Bitcoin security. And there's no better company to work with than Casa. I'm a customer. I'm a paid customer. I didn't take the free offer that they put to me. I paid. I became a customer. And I could not be happier with the service and with the protection I now have for my Bitcoin and with Casa, it could not be easier to protect yourself from hackers, personal mistakes, in-person attacks, device failures, and so much more. And because Casa are such badasses, they have a product for every Bitcoiner out there. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a single hardware wallet, and it's only $10 a month. So really, you've got no excuse to get your shit together here. And with Casa Platinum, you get their 3 of 5 multi-sig, the best protection for large Bitcoin holders at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get the full service offering including a customized personal security review, inheritance, and of course, their best in class security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more by heading over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. That's keys.casa, K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Can you clear up the node bit for me or what your take on the node was and the following discussions because there seemed to be disagreement on you know full archival node versus whatever the node was that um, Vitalik uses like how many full archival nodes are there how important are they like that I couldn't get my head around um, and also where is that directionally headed like I'm always interested directionally but it feels like the Ethereum blockchain is getting bigger and bigger like a scary rate. did i read somewhere like it's over a terabyte now and and if it becomes more popular it's going to become bigger and bigger like it feels like a that feels like a bit of an unmanageable beast long term 
Yeah, I'm I'm not tracking it. I would imagine it's much bigger than one terabyte, but I, I don't even know. Um yeah, it's definitely growing more like in Bitcoin, you know, in Bitcoin you have constant efforts to try to make things uh grow in a, at a slower pace. And and in Ethereum it's the other way around. And it's it also depends on how you're gonna count. Like all the Ethereum 2.0 things, is that going to be cons- you know, to be considered part of that because that they plan for that to grow much larger. So I don't know. I, I the role of nodes is is arguable as well. I mean, again, in, in Bitcoin, the reason you run a node is very specific. You want to know that your coins are real. You want to know that you're not getting coins that are fake. That's generally why people run nodes. And um, and then there are levels to how extreme you want to be because you can start. You know, some people like buy node hardware and that hardware ships with the current state of the chain. So they don't have to sync everything from day one. And they start from a, a certain point. They trust the supplier to to verify it correctly up to that point. And then they continue from there on uh, on their own. Um, other people would want to sync the entire thing from day zero um, from the Genesis block. That's fine too. It, it is kind of, you know, it is... The, the point that Ethereum people will make is that it's a waste, it's a waste of the effort. Why would you go back and, and verify everything? You can just, you know, ask five friends what's the current state is today and start from there. Why do you, do you not trust your friends to to give you the, the, the current state? Like how, how likely is it that so many people are going to lie to you about what the current state is? Um, that's what they say. And there's, you know, there's, there's point in that. The thing with Bitcoin is that it's, relatively simple to verify everything from the Genesis block. So there's not a lot of reason not to do that. Maybe it will take you a day or two, but you just, you know, you're just putting a box on your desk anyway, just let it do its thing. And then in a day or two, it's ready. So, you know, why not remove that doubt? But with Ethereum, it's really hard to do that because it's mm. so much. Um, it's just really hard to do that. So they have plenty of reasons why not to. You know, I don't know who's right. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a different, this is different. I think that those, those kind of fights that go on for years, they kind of, it's kind of silly to watch them at this point because, you know, everyone, it's just people talking past each other, you know? Well, no the one's bit- changing their mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Bitcoiners will say, well, it's not a full node. It's an, it's this node. It's a that node. And, and this go, it repeats itself for years. And I mean, I don't know, like, what's the point? They don't care. <laughs> They don't care, and and there's no reason. Like it's like, are we trying to convince other people that way? Are we trying to say, oh, we have cooler nodes? Like, what what are we doing exactly? Because that that doesn't sound very convincing. And um, you know, just the difference is interesting. So you explore the difference. You say, well, Bitcoiners care about the the supply and they care about that, and they want to make it easy. That's great. Ethereum people don't care about that that much. They care about other things. Awesome. Now people can choose what interests them more. I think that Ethereum is a convoluted mess and I don't know what it's good for. But fine, other people like it. Good for them. I, I, I don't see, like, th- those are debates that are so weird. Like, no, you're lying about what a full node is. Like, come on, man. It's just it's just a technical detail. It's not that, not that important. Well, yeah. Sometimes I wonder why they care so much. It's like, how much time are you going to spend in your life arguing about the technical differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum when you actually don't want to own it? So if you're trying to if you're trying to protect people, then why aren't you out there protecting people then? Why don't you go out yeah. there and, and do that fundamentally? Is it just some kind of like 
point scoring system. Again, I don't know because I, I question how much responsibility I have myself into knowing the differences and communicating the differences via the show. Like I, I, I do, I have that with Ethereum more than anything else because it's the other one I get asked, apart from fucking Ripple. It's the, it's the one I get asked the most by like friends or, you know, and actually, actually recently Cardano keeps coming up. Nah, Jesus. Um, but um yeah, I just wonder like how much responsibility, like what is it we should be or do you just like look, these people who are in Ethereum, the major- they know what they're doing, they know what they're playing with, they don't care. Like sh- should we just leave them be or is it that actually there's only a few that care and we should be encouraging the leadership to be at least being clear to other people that cuz I think the Bitcoin community was very good with Lightning to say this is risky right now. Mm-hmm. Like you can look you can this can get locked up, you can lose it. Be careful, like be reckless, but be careful at the same time. Like, don't put more than like a few dollars on there to play with. And perhaps, because we talked about this earlier, perhaps would it be would it be better to encourage that kind of behavior instead? Yeah. So for you know, for Ethereum, it's not really possible because all I mean, all of those experiments they have to be huge. They have to yeah. be. If it's not a lot of money, it's just not an interesting experiment. So um, they can't really be very. Um, careful about that. Um, with Lightning, Lightning is a payment system. It's mainly used for smaller payments, so it makes sense. Um, for Ethereum, it's not really possible. I think that, you know, the, the in general, I would say just live and let live. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I would troll Ethereum people all the time. For me, it's, it was... Well, it was useful because I was interested in Ethereum and I, and I used to get like that way people would approach me with information that otherwise would be very hard for me to, 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 to just obtain that amount of information. So because people saw, well, Udi talks about Ethereum a lot, they would just continuously reach out with, to me with, with like very good, good, good data and good information that, that I'm very happy to have. So that was useful for me, but I don't, I don't see that as something that helps protect people you know i I don't see Mm. myself protector of the people um and i don't think that people should think of themselves as that because you know people can people know what they're doing and if they don't they'll learn it's very hard to to convince someone to not use ethereum and i don't know why you would do that i don't think that it's fair to say that it's a scam like on on you know the base level of it is a scam i don't think it's fair to say that Mr. Um, Hoddle would disagree. He would say uh, it is. And the reason he would be giving is that it's a base scam because it's pretending to be something it can't and it's lying about its ability to be that. Mm. And then I'm, and again, I try and say, okay, again, objectively, what's it lying about trying to be and what can it do? Can it, again, it's, a, it's an ability to transfer value. Well, it, it can do that. It might break in the future because of for whatever reason, scalability issue. But right now, you can move value around in it. So, yeah. which he'll say it's a scam because it doesn't need a blockchain. Okay, that's I understand that argument. But we're talking about database design. There's nothing in the law that says you can't use this database design. You know, sometimes .NET might be preferable to PHP, but yeah. they, they use a different one. Like it's that's just a database design. So, like I'm trying to say, like objectively, why is it a scam? Like an actual reason. It's a scam, and I've I've never been able to get to the root of it. I can find a bunch of shady behavior and a bunch of kind of like confusing messages and kind of perhaps you know leading people on to believe like a little bit of gaslighting, but like actual scam, I've really struggled yeah. to, to nail onto it. I think that you know a problem that Ethereum faces, 
um, and Bitcoin doesn't, is that Ethereum has um, known founders who are still around and Bitcoin doesn't. So yeah. anything that those people say, that's Vitalik, but it's also a bunch of other people. Anything that those people say is going to be analyzed and kind of people will try to find what's, what's the scammy uh, angle there. Whereas with Bitcoin, you know, all the known figures that exist, they can say whatever they want. And the worst case, you can say, well, they, they're not representative. They're just, yeah. they're just saying something. So Ethereum kind of, it's kind of in a sticky spot in that regard. And, and sometimes, you know, Ethereum, uh, you know, Vitalik is tweeting a lot. He's tweeting all day long. And sometimes he's saying things that are not correct. Um, so you can like, you know, you can grab one of those, you know, people who use Twitter a lot, sometimes they, they say bullshit. And, and and you can kind of grab one one of those things and say, well, Ethereum is a scam because Vitalik said this thing once. Which, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, it also feels a bit like a gotcha. And um, and also you have those, you know, you have um, um, you have Consensus, which is uh, Joe Lubin's company, which is also, he's also a, an Ethereum co-founder and he's doing a lot of, um, he would call that evangelizing uh, Ethereum. Other people would call it chilling Ethereum, but whatever. And 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 um, and some of that is complete crap. Like the the notion that um, Ethereum has more Bitcoin usage than Bitcoin itself. They have those stupid charts where they say that uh, this WBTC thing has more Bitcoin locked than Lightning, which means that Ethereum is the second layer of Bitcoin. It's, and it's just crap because when, once you get into it, it doesn't make any sense at all. For example, because Lightning is being careful explicitly and it's it's used for small payments while the Ethereum stuff is just used for huge Ponzi schemes. So obviously the Ethereum stuff will have more money in it, but still people use more money in Bitcoin on Coinbase than they do on Ethereum. So that's like, it's useless. Anyways, um, so yeah, there's a lot of that kind of um, um, unfair um, or incorrect advertising for Ethereum sometimes. And I think the difference, people do that with Bitcoin too. Yeah. Sure. Of course. The difference is with Bitcoin, it's just people, just random people. And with Ethereum, some of them, you know, they're founders. So uh, their like statements seem more official in a way. So I think that's kind of a thing that Ethereum will forever probably have to deal with. I do uh, think, um, I do also find sometimes maybe from the Bitcoin side is that and I'm saying again, I'm generalizing, but let's just say we, for the sake of the argument, we Bitcoiners will attack every single possible angle we can. And then some of them I just don't, they don't hold up. Like, for example, the the pivots from World Computer, it just that one never holds. It just feels like it's a waste of time. Or even, and this will piss some people off, but the pre-mine, right? Like, I don't like the pre-mine. I don't like it at all. If you keep arguing about it, it's not going to change it. People aren't going to undo mm. that part of it. It's happened. It's done now. You know, I think I think it's it's just another thing that becomes pointless arguing about, or even like even like with the DAO hack with um yeah again yes code is law blah 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 the rollbacks happened they're not going to re-roll it back yeah <laughs> again, they're not going to do the rollback so some of them things I'm like what's the point in having those why not just focus right now focus right now technically what is Ethereum what is it trying to be can it do that and therefore is putting uh, any money into Ethereum risky and then therefore how risky? And then, and I think you can very quickly come to some conclusions about, okay, if you invest in the right time in the market, like with Bitcoin, you might make some money if there's more people buying than selling because the market goes up and that's your risk. 
But mm. would you? The serious question is like, should you put in money in there any other reason than being a short term trader? Like, is is there a long term investment there? And that's when you can get to the the base of the technicals. I'm comfortable holding money in Bitcoin long term. I'm comfortable to say I'm not going to move anything for ten years. I've got a feeling it's going to continue to be secure. The developers will continue to build a very kind of a trusted, safe system. I believe there will be a growing interest in it. I believe I believe in ten years it will be more valuable than it is today. Mm-hmm. When, and I believe it will exist. I don't see there's technical issues that it's going to face for it to exist in uh, ten years. Perhaps there'll be a lot of usage. Perhaps there will be you know increased costs in using the base chain. But you know, hopefully that's due to an increase like my values increase at the same scale something like ethereum i'm like is it an honest good reason to hold that for 10 years and if not what are the reasons what are the tech no because because like there's an issue with proof of stake or that technically eth2 doesn't scale and i think if you focus on that you give people who potentially put in money into it a lot better information about whether they should or they shouldn't does that make sense yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like, look at Ether as an investment and whether the investment makes sense or not. And this is what people are looking for. They're not looking for debates on technical details, small technical details. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for, I, I think, for Ethereum. I'm notoriously long-term uh, bearish on Ethereum, but the I think that the... Um, the people who are bullish on it are probably making the bet that something like, um, well, currently something like Ethereum 2.0 would be so great that, you know, just everything in the tech world will migrate to it and be built on that. And obviously if that happens, then Ether is probably a good investment. I think that's insane. I think that the idea that this could happen is, is batshit crazy, but I mean... Why though? Like if, if we had to get to the root of the arguments around this and... A couple of caveats. Give me your shortest, most least technical version of why you think the long-term prognosis for Ethereum is poor. Yeah, so I think, you know, if you look at what people actually build on things like Ethereum, it's always those short-term things. It's always a a quick ICO thing to get rich quickly, a quick uh, Ponzi scheme, a quick DeFi uh, yielding, yield farming, whatever. Um, It's almost always those very short-term things, which is just not how the rest of the world works. So when you want to build a social network, that's not what you want to build. When you want to build um, a phone, when you want to build anything, I mean, that's not what you're looking for. And Ethereum is, is just not, it's, just more difficult to use, more expensive, more whatever. Even after Ethereum 2.0 comes out, it's still going to be order of magnitudes more difficult than than traditional web technologies or whatever. Um, so why would you choose it? The only reason to choose it, if you want to pump something for a very short-term benefit, which is a great reason. I'm not, you know, I'm not judging people who do that. That's a good reason. You want to make money fast. That's that's Everyone wants that. But it's not what the entire world is going to be based upon. And, and I think people who think that are insane. Um, it just doesn't provide any benefit. And, you know, real businesses who have real issues are not just going to add another issue on top just to make Ethereum people happy. Ethereum is an, is an issue. It's, 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 it's a challenge. You need to hire a lot of developers who understand it, of which there aren't many. And, and it's just, why would you even get into it? All of the so what, big- Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. So you're saying the problem here is that it's too difficult for developers. There's no, there's no real incentive for developers to build their applications, their long-term applications on it, as opposed to there being 
fundamental technical issues with itself with Ethereum that means it will itself collapse? Yeah. Or or is yeah. it both? Yeah. So I don't know, like, I can't judge if Ethereum 2.0 is going to collapse or not because we don't know what Ethereum 2.0 is yet. Hmm. And so until it exists and launches and go, who knows? Um, I don't know. Maybe it works incredibly well. But even if it does, I don't see why people would use it. The only, I, I can see some reason, like the, if they want to build a short-term Ponzi, then they might use it. And that's, you know, that's something. Um, but I don't see the entire finance world um, transitioning to Ethereum. I think that's insane. I think thinking that is like, the only people who think that are people who never tried any financial product in their lives, usually. Um, so I don't see that happening. But yeah, Ponzi schemes could be, sure. So we, maybe, you, maybe there's value in that. Maybe you could say, well, I'm going to... I think Ethereum could be the the, the 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 place where all Ponzi schemes go to. And I think there's value in that. And maybe I buy Ether because I think there's going to be a growing, um, that's going to be a growing sector, just Ponzi schemes, maybe. I mean, if that's your thesis, that might be fine. Have you got any of your own blind spots with this? Like, are there any areas where you question yourself and you're like, come on, Udi, like, maybe it's good for this. Maybe I missed, like, do you ever question that? Um. Yeah, I mean, look, you have you can't ignore the fact that usage right now is growing. Um, it, it it is. So I used to say, well, why would anyone even use those apps when there are other apps that exist, and um, and clearly people are using them. They're paying high fees for them, so clearly they want to. And I think that um, now there's a reason for that, and I think that the reason that I might have missed is interesting, which is that with Ethereum, you can very quickly, again, it's kind of the Ponzi dynamics that are driving the current the current boom, but you couldn't really do that with traditional exchanges as easily. Like uh, in 2018, there was a lot of, uh, especially in China and Asia, there was this liquidity mining boom going on where a lot of exchanges did things very similar to what people are doing in DeFi now, which they would basically um, pay people to to create liquidity and that liquidity would in turn make those look more popular, you know, because they would go up in the in, in um, coin market cap, for example, because they would have more volume because they were paying people for volume. And that's basically that's what's going on in DeFi now. So people are being paid to provide liquidity to make the numbers look bigger. The numbers look bigger, so more people buy the underlying coin. The price of the coin goes up, so now they can pay more money for people who uh, mine liquidity. Now it's very obvious how this ends. It has to end, and you know, eventually retail can't buy any more of those coins because they run out of money. There's no, you know, there's no way around that. And when that happens, the whole thing crumbles down. And then there's a question, well, did you manage to use the time to build a brand around your um, curve of finance or whatever that you managed to, you know, create some awareness or people go- are in, in your community now and they're going to stick even after the, the the Ponzi element collapses? That's possible. And, and you saw that with the Asian liquidity exchanges, liquidity mining exchanges as well. Some of them disappeared immediately as they collapsed. Some of them stuck around because just people realize they have interesting features or whatever. But when you want to build a liquidity mining exchange, it's going to take a while. You're going to have to get compliance in order and whatever. It's gonna, even if it's in Asia, it's not, you know, it's not easy. And with Ethereum, you just, you take the code, you fork it, you, you uh, publish it, and you don't necessarily have to show your face, which is a big plus when you're doing a Ponzi. Um, so, so, yeah. Can't get I mean, away from the Ponzi. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I do so, feel like uh, philosophy would kind of help. Like, I t- again, I bring it up and I talk to Vitalik about it. And I think he, I kind of felt like he agreed. I felt like that was a weak spot of his during it. And I could see him kind of like question it during it. And I wonder if like it's impossible for them to have a philosophy because if you wrote the philosophy now, it's kind of like that move fast, break things. We just want to build like a testing environment for playing, testing things out. I think into that um, philosophy, you have to say, look, this is risky. You can lose your money. And so no one's really going to want to hang their hat on that. Therefore, the only other option is to go more conservative, but then it's not a conservative platform. So it's always hard. It needs a philosophy, but like, I don't even know how it can come up with one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either. Vitalik is, uh, I think the recent, um, the recent DeFi boom, he's being fairly cautious. I think he repeatedly tells people that it's um, A, it's risky. B, it's just, you know, it's just musical chairs. So if you don't understand the rules of the game, you probably shouldn't play it because you're the, you're the fish. But he's not, you know, he's not being extremely loud about it. It's not like he's running all over the place saying people, no, stay away. He's just mentioning it, which I th- it's probably fair. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. I mean, look, if, if, and, and look, I know people are going to listen to this, and I think if they're like a hardcore Bitcoiner, they're going to be a little bit like, you're not tough enough on Ethereum. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's a scam, blah, blah, blah. And then if they're like an ETH head, they're going to be like, you don't understand it. They're going to be triggered, blah, blah, blah. It's not just Ponzi, blah, blah, blah. Like it's that unwinnable situation. It's very easy to win when you pick a side, right? It's like if you yeah. it's like if you don't care about the US election, you're like, Trump's a moron. Biden. Like if you if you slag Trump off, they're like, oh, you're left wing, you're Biden. So it's like, no, you're not. You're just, I don't like either of them. But I feel like it's, it's sometimes it's easier just to pick a side and just go fuck you to the other side. But I struggle with that because I, I try and find the nuance and – I feel like you've confirmed things for me and I feel I feel like happy with my observations. I still have no interest in Ethereum. Like I would never yep. invest in it. But I also stand by the fact that if I had to use it for certain things, then maybe I would, but I'd be very specific about what those cases are. Like I said, if you said Pete send me like a thousand dollars of USDC or you know, tether over blah blah blah. Like I don't care about I'd happily do that. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, yeah, cool, man. Well, listen, appreciate your time, dude. For sure. Yeah. How do, you, how do you think this? How do you think this plays out? Last thing I want to say is that Ethereum isn't a scam. Just to, just to troll everyone listening. <laughs> yeah, well, that will trigger people. But I like again. I come back to that point. It's like, how do you? People can be scammers, and ideas can be scams, and like individuals. Like I don't see how a blockchain itself is a scam. I think it's the usage of it. Like. Scam is like, a scam is like a human action. It's like a, it's, a scam is like subjectively what humans have decided is a scam. Mm-hmm. But the blockchain isn't subject like it isn't subjective. So I kind I've I've always felt that's not a useful thing to say. Yeah, mm. yeah. It doesn't further any any debate. That's for sure. All right, cool, man. What are you working on anyway, dude? Anything interesting? Well, everyone should come to Reckless VR. That's for sure. We have yeah. week VR meetups every weekend. Um, the only way to go to a conference these days is to is to put a VR headset on. Um, you got to log in through Facebook. Uh, only if you get a Facebook headset. There are a lot of other manufacturers, but yeah. 
Yeah. Do you know, I haven't been able to come back on because I took my um, VR up to my brother's because I wanted to show him the walk the plank. I don't know if you saw me push him off it, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, but I left, the, I left the charger there, so I haven't had my charger for uh. nearly two months. So I've got no charger. As soon as I get it back, I'll be back in. But like, congratulations on what you've done there. You've like really built something pretty cool, right? It's, what kind yeah, of it's looking, like, good audience? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And um, I was surprised that people are geeky enough and nerdy enough like me to both be into Bitcoin and VR. That's, a, that's quite the niche. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, apparently someone. Well, look, keep crushing that, man. I'll, uh, I'll share that in the show notes, make sure people go. And look, appreciate your time, man. I'm like, people don't know, I'm always picking your brain in the background, like confirming my thoughts. So I appreciate your time and um, everything you've helped me with, man. And all the best. And I'm sure I'll see you soon, dude. For sure. Thanks for having me. Okay, what did you think of that? Did you enjoy that? As I mentioned, I'm in a toilet in North Wales because I don't have my microphone and my kids are being really noisy and I'm trying to get this recorded. I forgot my mic. I went away for a couple of days with the kids and completely forgot to pack my mic. I'm so sorry. So hopefully Danny, my engineers, made this sound beautiful. Anyway, I'm not sure what you thought of that show. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, after the show with Samson and Vitalik, as expected, there was loads of feedback that just really fell into three camps. There were a bunch of people who said, you know, good job, enjoyed it, you know, fairly objective, well-moderated. And then there were a bunch of maximalists who just think Ethereum is a scam and a doom project, and a bunch of people who support ETH, who thought Samson did a poor job, and, and uh, also a few people thought I did a poor job, whatever. Like, I tried to be as fair as I could, and, you know, personally, I do think uh, Ethereum is a flawed project. I have no need for it. I have nothing I want to use it for. But I would, you know, if someone came with a solid argument, I'm, I'm willing to listen to it. Um, I struggle to call it an outright scam, but there is a lot I don't like about it. And uh, Udi is a Bitcoiner who isn't afraid to call out the maxis, and he does hold his own strong opinions. He's also been very vocal against Ethereum. So, so, so I thought he'd be the perfect person to come on and dissect the interview and try to get to the bottom of some of the big issues. I think we agreed on a lot, which is cool. Really enjoyed it. Always like talking to Udi. He's like my oracle in the background. I pick his brain on a bunch of stuff. So thanks again, mate. Listen, I hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any feedback, you can email me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I will be heading back to the mighty Bedford soon, getting out of Wales. What an interesting place, by the way. Lovely. Um, but yeah, getting back to Bedford, getting back to normal next week. And uh, yeah, I'll see you all soon. Take care and hope you enjoy the show.